Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campy Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I'm, of course, your host, John Campy, and this is a, a very different data. It's Thanksgiving here in the United States. That's where I'm living. I'm, I'm used to Canadian Thanksgiving, but it is Thanksgiving here in the United States. You know, we weren't even going to do a show today. Wasn't even going to do a show today, but... Um, I just got, I got some messages from some people and said, Hey, why don't we just do something really casual and blah, blah. So I said, you know what? Why not? Let's do a casual Thanksgiving day, uh, stream. So happy Thanksgiving, whether you're, you live in the United States or not happy Thanksgiving to all of you guys. And I hope wherever you are and whatever traditions you're recognizing today, I hope you're able to do it surrounded by friends and family, or maybe you don't want that to, maybe you want just a little quiet time, a little me time today. If that's what you need. I hope that that's what you're going to get today. So I hope you guys are all uh, doing great. And, you know, one of the other reasons I wanted to to do a show today, or at least do a live stream, I'm not even going to call today a show. We're going to call it a live stream today. The reason, I, one of the big reasons I wanted to do a live stream today is because it is Thanksgiving. And, and I realized I have so much uh, to be thankful for, so much to be thankful for. And uh, I th- even in the midst of the crap fest that has been 2020, uh, even within the piles of dung that this year has squatted over and crapped on all of us, even within all that, there's a lot to be thankful for. And uh, I know I am on a personal note of uh, for a great many things. But, you know, I was I was also reminded as I was thinking about because I was talking to Rob earlier and, you know, Rob and I have talked a lot about how in the midst of this global pandemic and there's been a lot of things that that have affected a lot of people very negatively and by the way we're going to do some more uh, fundraising we did some fundraising for feeding america to help those who've been affected by the pandemic guess what pandemic's still here and there's still people being affected so we're going to do some more fundraising uh for that in the upcoming days uh, keep your eyes open for that but you know, realizing that it's just so uh, in- incredible that we've been able to still do what we do. And um, that is due in no small part to you guys, the fan community, and uh, and we're incredibly grateful for that. Uh, I, I know I am. I know Aaron is. I know, uh, you know, Rob is. I, I, we all are. So we are incredibly grateful, grateful for that. But the other thing I got to tell you, I, I am super grateful for is uh, you guys know that yesterday uh, we launched uh, our the, the the movie movie trailers a love story launched that movie yesterday and you guys know I've been working on this film for over a year and we launched it and I don't know what I was expecting like thinking and uh, Danny Sanchez sent in a badge on the super chat thanks Danny Sanchez I appreciate that man um I honestly didn't know whether to expect 10 people because listen here's the thing like I, I know a bunch of people watch the show, but it's it's another thing entirely. I'm not a salesman, right? I'm no good at selling things, and so whether or not people actually then take that step to to buy or rent something that you are you are putting out there, that's another thing. And I I don't know. I just told my wife. I said if ten people get this movie tomorrow, I'm going to be really happy. If ten people get it, uh, and I'm not going to go into the specific numbers, but you guys made our launch day yesterday was our launch day for movie trailers a love a love story you guys made our launch day so much more successful than than i possibly uh thought was 
within the within the realm of possibility. I just far beyond the realm of possibility. So to all of you guys who on day one, uh, when we made this movie available, uh, showed some faith in me and went out and rented it and watched it. Um, I, I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am. You know, I was talking to Rob earlier this morning, Rob and I were communicating and not going to get, obviously I'm not going to get into specific numbers, but I was just talking to Rob and just, just amazed, uh, just amazed. And so I am so thankful uh, for that here on this Thanksgiving day in the States that not just thankful that the movie's doing well already, but thankful that it's doing well because you guys uh, have shown a little bit of faith in me and you were willing to invest your time and to check the movie out. And, uh, I am, uh, really, really super grateful for that. So thank you very, very much everybody, uh, for making that show or making that, uh, movie launch so successful. And I know a bunch of you were waiting to, to do it today or maybe later this week, whatever. And so, of course, you know, I got to give it a plug here. Uh, so there's two different ways you guys can watch this movie if you haven't done so already. Uh, worldwide, worldwide, every country. I've gotten a lot of messages the last 24 hours saying, hey, John, can I get it in India? Hey, John, can I get it in Germany? You can get the movie worldwide at Vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. So you can get it worldwide. Doesn't matter where you live. You can get movie trailers, a love story worldwide at Vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. If you happen to live in the United States or the UK, it, there another option that's available to you is on Amazon. So you can just search Amazon for movie trailers, a love story, and you should be able to find it there. So if you're in the US or the UK, Amazon is an option for you. Otherwise, worldwide, including US and the UK, but worldwide, you can get it on Vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. And again, guys, thank you so much for giving me uh, something to be really grateful for. Uh, and and the launch is, was better than <laughs> than I possibly conceived of or imagined. So thank you guys for that. And thank you for all the kind words you guys have been sending me and all that sorts of good stuff. So listen, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, we are going to uh, basically just take the day to just take your live comments and questions. We can talk about just about anything today, guys. Just about anything. Uh, you can send in a live comment or question uh, using the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. So without further ado, let's dive into it, shall we? And we're going to get things started off here with Superman Steve who writes, John, I am so beyond gutted about this. Your doc is not available in Australia through Amazon Prime Video. Yep, I know. I know. And and I do feel uh, I wish I, I could have put it on more uh, platforms on Amazon. But Amazon, they only went unless there's certain hoops you got to jump through with Amazon to get it available in more markets. And so. I was only able to get it on the US and UK market, but that's okay because like I said, it's still available everywhere at that Vimeo link. Uh, link. But anyway, thanks for writing that in, Superman Steve. All right, ZOMG Ruler writes, uh, been a while, John. Watched your documentary. Found it very informative. Thank you so much for that, ZOMG Ruler. Uh, I must know why you didn't include yourself in the movie. You love to talk about movies and you miss an opportunity to discuss movie trailers. Is that a narcissistic thing to do? Well, no, it's it's not that it's narc it's not narcissistic to put yourself in your own movie. I just chose not to do that because, first of all, I have an opportunity to discuss movie trailers every day, right? 
I've got my show. I, I can I can talk movie trailers every single day that I want to. So that's not a problem. I wanted to do something different. Uh, I want to do something a little bit different. And I wanted, I didn't want to make a movie so I could be a star in it. Although if you look very carefully, I do have a little three second cameo in the movie. I did. I gave myself a little three second cameo in the movie. For those of you who've watched it, I want to know if you guys recognize where that happened. I'll keep an eye on the chat board for any of you who have seen it. Uh, but I did put myself in like a quick little three second cameo, but that's it. No, I, I felt like I wanted to tell the story. I didn't want to be the story. You know, you know what I mean? I wanted to tell the story. I didn't want to be the story. I can do my show anytime. So yeah, I didn't want to make my, some people ask me, why didn't you narrate it? Cause I don't have a narrator's voice. Uh, and Dario got it. Yep. It's, it's that thing. It's that shot with me and John Favreau. You're right. That was the one little cameo I put myself in was with me with John Favreau. Anyway. Um, yeah, again, I, I, I want I I have my own platform. I have my own show. I didn't need to put myself in it and I don't have a narrator's voice. I simply do not have a narrator's voice. I am so lucky. I found Justin. Justin is a New York based, uh, voice artist and I was really lucky to find him to narrate my movie. I love his narration in my film. But yeah, so there was no need for me to be in it. And no need for that. Because again, I wanted to tell the story. I didn't want to be the story. All right. Uh, let's see. What's up next? We've got Willow who writes, Is it just a little ironic that New Mutants actually made it into theaters, whereas many tentpole films are either being delayed or going straight to streaming? Maybe New Mutants isn't actually cursed after all. Well, I mean, listen. Yeah, that is kind of weird, right? When you think about New Mutants and the years, years, it was delayed. And it finally gets its theatrical release. And like all these other films looks like they're not. But remember, New Mutants, Hell or High Water was always going to get a theatrical release. There were actually contractual obligations with New Mutants that required it to be given a theatrical release. So one way or another... Hell or High Water, uh, that movie was going to get a theatrical release. Uh, most movies don't have such requirements. And if they do, there are financial ways you can get around it. But uh, yeah, it is kind of funny, though, when you think about it in those terms, Willow. Absolutely, for sure. All right. Luis R. writes, uh, sometimes when you get certain questions on tips, super chats, it makes me wonder if it's secretly people that work for Hollywood Studios. LOL. Do you ever wonder this? I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't just wonder it. I know for a fact that has happened because I have been, I, I've had, I'm not going to go into details. I've had somebody fess up to me about it. <laughs> so it has happened. It has happened. Now, how often that happens, um, I don't know. I don't know how often that happens. I don't know if it happens once a year. I don't know if it happens once a month. I don't know if it's only ever happened twice in the entire, because I know of two times specifically that that actually happened, that a studio plant actually put in a question and it was actually somebody from a studio. So I don't know if it happens every day, every week, every month, every year, or it's only ever happened twice entirely, but it has happened. So yeah, you're not, you're not crazy to suspect that, Luis. You're not crazy to suspect that. All right. Uh, next up, we got Jonas A who writes, Hey, John and Rob, obviously Rob's not here today. Uh, I'm a huge fan from Norway. Thank you so much, man. Uh, just curious about something I have uh, not found any answers to yet. 
Uh, does content creators on Netflix get royalties slash income per year for their movies slash shows, or do they get paid for that one season at a time? If I'm not mistaken, I mean, I, I don't know how it works for television. At least specifically, I don't know how it works for Netflix original series. Like Netflix, they own it, so it's whatever. But I know if you're a filmmaker, you can license your movie to Netflix and let Netflix will pay a licensing fee for it. The minutia of specific like royalties and stuff like that, I'm not quite sure how that works. I do know that in general... Though, if you have a movie and you want to get it on Netflix, Netflix will pay you, and Netflix, if Netflix wants it, they will pay you a licensing fee. And then you negotiate that licensing fee, and then it goes on Netflix for however long the licensing fee determined. And then when the license runs out, you can renegotiate it again. And maybe Netflix says, hey, nobody watched it, so we're not going to pay you another licensing fee. Or maybe, you know, you know that the world watched it, so you negotiate a higher licensing fee, all that kind of stuff. But in the minutia of the actual, like, royalties for, like, Netflix original stuff, I'm not – I'll be honest with you. I'm not really sure. That would be a great question for Aaron Cummings because Aaron has appeared in shows on streaming platforms. So that would be a good question for Aaron. I'll, I'll have to ask her that sometime. Good question, Jonas. All right, next up, Captain Blue Pants writes – all these Spider-Man 3 rumors are annoying AF. Every day, there's fandom influencers spreading rumors and passing them off as confirmed. Uh, and you just know when the film doesn't actually have these things in it, the fans will shit on it because of that. Oh, yeah. No, listen, that's that is a significant problem. And it's not a new problem. Right. It's not a new problem. This has been an issue and a problem in the world of fandom for a long time. Like sites that will run like it's one thing I have no problem because I do this myself. I have no problem when a site like, for instance, the other day, uh, the site uh, Illuminati, they wrote. I can't remember what the specific rumor was. Oh, I remember it was about Naomi Scott being in Obi-Wan. Right. So I have no issue with a site like Illuminati. If that's if I'm even remembering the name of the site properly. I have no problem with a site like that. If they legitimately get get told something, them just reporting to their own community, hey, community, our community here on our website, uh, we got told this. Now, so I have no problem with that. Where it becomes a, a little bit of an issue is when you get some sites running things, so, so-and-so confirmed, and it's like it's not confirmed. Something's not confirmed unless the word confirmed should never be used unless the studio or the filmmakers themselves have publicly said it, right? Like, I, I just hate when I see websites say, confirm this, this, and this, and you read through, no, it wasn't confirmed. That's just you saying that, right? That's a problem. And the reason it's a problem is because it creates confusion amongst the fan community. It's like, wait a minute, I thought so-and-so was going to be in such-and-such because such, I read it, right? It creates confusion and, you know, it's sometimes, I mean, a lot of times you take something like we got this covered, they just don't give a shit if they're ruining the fan community, right? They don't care. The only thing they care about is getting clicks. And if they can write, hey, did you hear Johnny Depp is going to be the next Jedi Master in a new Star Wars movie? They're completely sowing confusion. By the way, we got this cover. Didn't say that just to be clear, but they just don't care that they're sowing confusion and misinformation among the fan base because all they care is that a bunch of people will talk about it and get them clicks. 
And uh, I think a lot of the times it's a situation like Illuminati with the, the Naomi Scott thing where it's just like, hey, they got told that and they told their community. Where I start to question is then when bigger outlets then use that as an excuse to run Naomi Scott in Obi-Wan as a headline, right? So I don't know. It's Listen, it's not a brand new problem. This has been around since I first got involved in the online movie space with the movie blog. This has been a big issue uh, and will continue to be an issue. So that's why I always tell people you need to take responsibility for yourself. When you read a report or you read a rumor, follow the source. Where is this supposed story coming from? And if it's not coming directly from the studio and it's not coming directly from the filmmakers themselves, and it's not coming from one of the major trades, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, Entertainment Weekly, whatever, then you've got to know that you shouldn't take it all that seriously. It doesn't mean it's not true. There's a possibility whatever that story is could still be true, but you got to file it away on a back shelf in your head and, and just realize, okay, so there's nothing here to make this truly believable. If it is true, then the studio will say it at some point or the filmmakers will say it at some point or Variety or the Hollywood Reporter or Entertainment Weekly or so on and so forth will report it at some point. So I'll take it seriously then. Until then, I'll just file it away for now and not really take it seriously. And, and that's, up to the, that's up to individual fans to do that when they read stories like that. So that's kind of my take. It is a problem, though. You're absolutely right. It, it is a problem, and, uh, and I hope it gets fixed at some point. Anyway, next up. We've got Evan who writes, not happy with you, John. Oh, no. What I do this time? Just watch The Incredible Hulk. Why you got to make the big green guy angry? Again, I, that's kind of a little game I play. I do I do have a, a, a cameo. I'm, a, I'm an extra. I'm an extra. I can use the word. I'll say the word cameo. I'm an extra in, uh, in The Incredible Hulk. And it's always a little game I play with everybody. See if you can find me. I mean, a couple of shots, but see if you can find me. It's very, very difficult. It is very difficult. But apparently you did find me. Um, you did find me. So good on you, Evan. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, with Godzilla versus Kong now looking to go to HBO Max and the rumors of Black Widow going straight to Disney Plus, do you see Disney and Warner Brothers buying cinema chains? We've been asked this question a lot. Buying cinema chains in the future as the Paramount decrees of 1948 is gone. Do you think that the uh, strategy, uh, do you think that's the strategy they're taking? Cinemas will be cheaper to buy now. Okay, so a couple things. Number one, there is nothing that says Godzilla versus Kong is going to HBO Max. There is nothing that says that. There is a story. I believe it was in The Hollywood Reporter. Let me see if I can bring this up here because I was looking at this earlier. Okay, here we go. There is a story that came out in The Hollywood Reporter that says that Godzilla versus Kong likely the latest temple to go straight to streaming. Now, what they report in the story is that Netflix made an offer to get Godzilla versus Kong for 200 plus million dollars. And then that uh, HBO Max is also going to put in a bid for it. But, but keep this in mind. This is the key point. Um, while all that is going on, a Warner Brothers spokesman, an actual spokesperson of Warner Brothers said, we plan to release Godzilla versus Kong theatrically next year as scheduled. All right. That's 
That is the official word from Warner Brothers. Does that mean it can't change? Obviously not. It very well could change. But I'm just saying, for now, let's be clear of what the story is right now. Right now, the story is offers have been made for it. But Warner Brothers' official position as of right now is, no, we are planning to put Godzilla vs. Kong in theaters on schedule like we always planned. Again, I'm not saying that can't change. That can change. But let's be clear about what the, let's not spread misinformation. The actual story right now is the official word is some people are making offers, but they're still saying they're putting in the theaters. Let's see what happens as we go. As far as the, and for those of you who don't know what the Paramount decrees are, the Paramount decrees was a set of legislation that came out back in the forties that basically was to protect the public against, um, uh, monopoly behavior of studios owning, you know, movie theaters. And there was laws made against that. The Paramount decrees last year were wiped away. So now studios are free. It is legal now for studios to own movie theaters. Does that mean that Disney and Warner Brothers are going to buy movie theaters chains? I really don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because the studios have no desire to be in the movie theater business. Because they know, because they've been taking advantage of the movie theaters for almost a century. They know how incredibly, insanely difficult it is to actually operate a chain of movie theaters and how absolutely minimal profit margins are. And it's a money-losing thing. It's, it's a bang for your buck. Like, are you willing to put in 5,000 units of effort to get one unit of profit? That's not a good ratio. That's not a good bang for your buck. So that's why I've said for a long time, I don't believe studios have any desire to own movie theater chains. Now, look, it's one thing for Disney to own, like, say, the El Capitan Theater, the, the iconic, legendary El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. Yeah, and I could see Warner Brothers and Disney and Amazon or whatever having some novelty, owning one or two like theaters, that's kind of their little marquee theater, but owning a nationwide theater, the expense of that, the zero profit margin, the headache of it, they have no desire to be in that business. Not to mention when you're talking about Disney and Warner Brothers, they don't see their future being on movie screens. They see their future being in streaming. Now, does that mean it's impossible that they could go that route? Not impossible because the Paramount Decree laws are now cleared away. It does open a door for them to own, you know, to buy movie theater chains if they so choose, but they're not going to choose to do that. I really don't think they're going to. It's possible. I'm not going to say it's not because it is possible. I'll just, I'm just going to say I would be like crazy shocked, crazy shocked if it ever happened. I think it's extremely unlikely. All right. Next up, Orange Hand writes. Back when Phantom Menace first came out, I was just a little kid there uh, and there and there anyone who didn't know Palpatine and Sidious were the same person as well as the future emperor. It's not like the movies made too much effort to hide it. Oh, yeah. Like there there was. No, I remember very clearly back in the day when I went to watch the Phantom Menace for the first time. There was it was very, very clear. They weren't trying to hide it at all. This Palpatine, first of all, anybody who knew anything about Star Wars knew Palpatine turns into the Emperor. Just like even people who have never seen Star Wars know Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad, right? Everybody knows that, whether they've seen Star Wars or not. People know that. 
And when you went in to watch Star Wars, Lucasfilm had the assumption that everybody knows this guy, he becomes the emperor. Like everybody kind of knew that. I don't know if there were many people who didn't know it, Orange Hand. I, I really don't know. I don't know if there was anybody uh, who did not know that. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at on that. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, next up, who is up next? Morse Codes. And Morse Codes writes, uh, Mako came up again Wednesday, and you talked about uh, where you remember him from. That's right. I'll always, when I think of Mako, I'll always think of his role, not in Avatar. I will think of him from Conan the Barbarian with Arnold Schwarzenegger as the wizard. I'll always think of him as that. Uh, anyway, uh, talked about where you remember him from. The first performance I always think of his are multiple powerful guest appearances on MASH, which is still my favorite show. You know what? That, I'm glad you brought up MASH because it might have been, it was sometime this, this week, somebody asked me the question, what do I think was the greatest series finale ever? I think I remember somebody asked me that question. I might've said this or that. No, I remember I said, I said, Star Trek, the next generation was the greatest series finale ever. But I got to say a very close second, if not neck and neck tie, even though it was the show was a little bit, you know, I wasn't quite old enough to really watch the show, but I watched it years later after it aired in rerun. The series finale for MASH was perfect. And for a long time, the series finale of MASH with Alan Alda was the highest rated television episode of all time. It was the most viewed episode of television in history for a long time. It held that record. And that finale was amazing. And it was the, the last shot was perfect too. Whereas, you know, the two best friends, one is now leaving. And as the, his helicopter is flying away, he looks down on the ground. He sees his friends spelled out on the ground. Goodbye. Ah, oh, powerful stuff, man. Powerful, powerful stuff. I thought it was really, really well done. Okay. Uh, let's move on here. What do I have up next? We have, I keep losing it. Where'd it go? Ah, there we go. Okay, next up we have um, Dylan's Dialogue who writes, Hiya, John. I know you're not a song and dance kind of guy, but I got a stiffy is bound to catch on. Uh, my question is, I love Ewan McGregor and I'm a fan of musicals, so should I give Mulan a shot? I've never seen it, but I'm curious. I'll tell you right now, Mulan is one of my top 20s. Not in my top 10. Mulan is in my top 20 favorite films of all time. Mulan's incredible. Let me see if I can find this out. Uh, let me see. Moulin Rouge. Uh, not, Moulin, not to be confused with Moulin. Moulin Rouge uh, is like one of my all-time favorite movies. Let me see. There's a good image I can bring up here. Um, Ewan McGregor is fantastic in it. Ewan McGregor, uh, Nicole Kidman, the whole cast is absolutely ridiculously fantastic. And it is it's emotional, it's entertaining, it's bombastic, it's fun. It's also it crushes your heart at the same I mean it's just it's got so much and you and McGregor, one of my favorite musical scenes in any movie ever. I'm not going to say it's my absolute number 1, but one of my favorite musical scenes in any movie ever is you and McGregor singing this is your song. You can tell everybody this is your song. 
and I'm just like, holy crap, Obi-Wan can sing. He's really good. He's fantastic in it. He really, really is. So considering that it is indeed one of my uh, favorite, absolute favorite uh, movies of all time uh, and is in my personal top 20, I absolutely do recommend you give Moulin Rouge a shot because I I love that movie. Uh, Okay, let's see. Chris writes, hey, John, love all that you do. Thank you so much, Chris. Just wanted to ask for some advice. I'm losing my drive for film, and some of it has to do with depression, unfortunately, but I'm having trouble trying to see if anything will improve, and it's getting difficult. Any advice? Well, listen, Chris, the first thing I would say, first of all, everybody understand I am no mental health professional. Just be very clear about that. Um, It seems to me, I think a lot of us are struggling a little bit with, you know, our passion for film. And all that kind of stuff because we simply we we had our supply cut off, right? We had our supply cut off. It's hard to maintain your passion for K-pop music when the radio the only radio station in town that played it stops playing it for six months. It's hard. So the first thing I would say is number one, don't believe for a second that there's anything wrong with you. Right. We have just gone through like eight months with no big movies in theaters, really. And the industry basically been shut down for for all intents and purposes. So don't think for a second. It's like, wow, I kind of feel like a lot of my enthusiasm for movies isn't there right now. I wonder you know, what's wrong with me. It ain't you. It isn't you. Now, <clears throat> I would only ever worry about it or think about it. If once everything goes back to whatever normal is going to be pretty soon, because, you know, we've got the the, uh, vaccines coming, whatever normal is going to be, I have a feeling that for almost all of us, once these movies start hitting again in whichever avenue they come, I think we're going to find that spark revitalized. But it's, it's hard to go that long without anything and obviously not have it hit our enthusiasm. You know, a lot of people, I've had people write into this show and say, you know, I'm just not feeling my enthusiasm for Wonder Woman 84, or I'm just not feeling my enthusiasm for Dune. And I was all excited. But, you know, these are movies that have been promised and then delayed, promised and then delayed. Now we don't even know when they're coming. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, of course, how are you supposed to maintain a high enthusiasm level when we don't know when we're going to get to see them? We don't know how we're going to get to see them. Right now, there's still just kind of these theories floating around the air. Now, Wonder Woman 84 is now a little more concrete. We're getting a Christmas Day on HBO Max, but... Like before that announcement, like movies like even Fast Nine and uh, and uh, uh, James Bond, No Time to Die and Dune, these are just theories now, right? In our minds, they're just like theories because there's nothing concrete. We don't know when we're going to get to see them. We don't know how we're going to get to see them. So it, it, it's difficult for us to maintain a high level of enthusiasm when that's not the case. So it's not you. It's not you. I, and I. so I would say get, cut yourself some slack there and wait to see how your enthusiasm regenerates because I suspect it will once the tap opens up again and full new movie content become, starts coming at us on a regular basis. Then we'll see where we're at. So that's, that's just my thoughts on that, Chris. Thanks for writing that in, man. I appreciate that for being very open of you. All right. Uh, Zoe and Patrick writes, hey, John, thank you and Rob for spotlighting our film's 
bed bug and crawl space on yesterday's show. We didn't highlight that. I, I suspect you just used that. Give, give yourself a little plug. Um, as the director of movie trailers, a love story, what has been the most rewarding part of the filmmaking process for you? <sighs> what has been the most rewarding part of the process for me in making movie trailers, a love story? You know, we as men, and I can only talk as a man for a second here. So indulge me for a moment. We as men have this really weird accomplishment syndrome. I find this is true of every man I have ever known, myself included. We have this really overly inflated sense of accomplishment. And I've very rarely seen this in women. <laughs> I don't think women have this problem nearly as much as we men do, but I've, I've, I've said this before, but it's true. You can have a Yale educated PhD dude mow the lawn on a Saturday. And when they're done mowing the lawn, I don't care if you work at, at, at Vaughn's or if you work at Walmart or you work at Amazon or you're a PhD, it doesn't matter what happens when a man finishes mowing the lawn, something as, you know, obscure, something as inconsequential as that we as men will stand on the porch, cross our arms and behold our accomplishment. We'll sit there and go, yeah, yeah, look at that lawn. I mean, we have this overinflated sense of accomplishment. Now, if you write something, I, I know I do this too. When, when I'm writing something, I'm scripting something out and I write a particularly um, good thing. I'll sit there and read over my thing like four times. Like, yeah, look at that word structure. Yeah. Or. If you cook something, right, you cook it and it's done, you put it on your plate and you're like, it doesn't matter if you just made Kraft macaroni and cheese, man. We make, we men, we make something, we put it on the plate. You don't see women going, ooh, look at how great I did that. No, they just take the plate and then eat it like a sane person should. We as men, we go, yeah, look, look at that. Look at that job I did on that Kraft mac and cheese. Look at that job, right? So I got to say in making, making a movie, um, no matter how grand or how small, like movie trailers, a love story, it's that same male sense, overdeveloped sense of accomplishment, right? I, I But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you, man, I sit back and I just feel so proud of it. It's, it's the finishing it that I take particular, I take particular pride in, in, in finishing it. You know, because so many people talk about doing things. I'm always encouraging people who watch this show don't talk about doing things, do something, right? And I think it's not an overinflated thing when you as an individual actually finish something that most people won't do. And, and so I think for me, I just feel personally gratified that I started this project, I worked my ass off on it, I sacrificed a lot for it, and I saw it through. In the midst of a pandemic and whatever, I saw it through. The results, how good or bad are the results, I will leave that up to you guys to tell me whether the results were good or not. But I, I take a great deal of satisfaction in sitting back and seeing something that you work so hard on and that you saw it through. Whether it's mowing a lawn, making mac, mac and cheese, or making a movie. And I, I got to tell you, that's kind of the, probably the most personally satisfying thing for me. Anyway, thanks for asking that. I appreciate that.
All right, next up, we've got Amir who writes, one of two. Yesterday, the world lost Diego Maradona, one of, one of, if not the greatest football players of all time, soccer to those of us in North America, a player who had his issues, but someone who the fans adored like few others. Just look at the reaction of fans in Argentina and in Naples. Um, and this one uh, got me thinking about some of the football movies we've seen over the years. Example, Escape to Victory, Bend It Like Beckham, etc. And how we haven't seen a truly great film about football or a player. I found that intriguing. Stay safe. Yeah, I mean, listen, when, when you think, even if you're not a soccer fan at all and have no idea what soccer is and don't follow soccer at all, I contend there are three names that you know. You know the name of Beckham, you know the name of Pele, and you know the name of Diego Maradona. You know those names. You've heard those names. Or Zinedine Zidane for that chest headbutt he did, whatever. But primarily, you know three names. Like even people who've never watched hockey, they have heard of Wayne Gretzky. People who never watch football, they have heard. I would say he was one of those. I mean, he was just simply one of those. And I watched some video of the outpouring of emotion. It reminded me a lot of like when Kobe Bryant passed away and the, and the outpouring of, of emotion that happened in Los Angeles. I watched some video about the passing of Maradona and like it was that. And you're right. There's not a lot of big movies about soccer. I think primarily because you know, soccer is not as big in the United States, and that's where Hollywood is and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that justifies it. I'm just saying that might explain it a little bit. I think if soccer was as popular in the U.S. as, say, football or or, or basketball, whatever, you'd probably see more. But all I know is that for me, one of my favorite things on television right now revolves around soccer, and that's Ted Lasso. So, I, I mean, that's a bad comparison, but... Now, one of my favorite things right now to watch is a soccer thing in Ted Lasso. But yeah, it, it is. Uh, it was quite a loss uh, for people who were really into that world. Thanks for sharing that, Amir. All right, next up, Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I am about to start my Thanksgiving. Ann and I have not many. We're not having like normally on Thanksgiving. It's like the whole Filipino side of the family, like all gets together, uh, like with all of Ann's you know, uh, all of Anne's uh, Tito's and Tina's and things like that. It's always a huge affair this year, much smaller me and her mom, her sister, Ray, our, our, our friend, Ryan, who is family. And that's it. That's it. Uh, so we're keeping much smaller this year, obviously because of the pandemic. Uh, but uh, they're going to come over a little bit later. Very excited about that. And uh, we're going to have a good day. Anyway, uh, with all the Thanksgiving traditions out there, I always have time to watch the, I don't know what that is, Turkey Day Marathon. Uh, it was streaming on YouTube on Thursday. And God, how I miss these guys. Oh, oh, making fun of movies. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Guys, please don't put acronyms in. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, I, I miss these guys making fun of bad movies. They're really good. I actually went to a live Mystery Science 3000 performance once. And I think it was for uh, Starship Troopers. They were doing it to Starship Troopers. One of the funniest things I've ever been to. Their roasting Starship Troopers is honestly one of the best things they've ever done. Uh, it was great. It was absolutely fantastic. If you get Fathom Events, once you know theaters open back up again and whatever... 
Fathom events, they will every once in a while do a Mystery Science Theater 3000 stuff. If you get an opportunity to go to the theater, because it's even better in a theater with people and everybody laughing, go check that out. Absolutely go check that out. All right, next up. Uh, Sarah the Supernova writes, uh, first time commenting on your channel. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah the Supernova. I appreciate that. First time commenting on the channel, but I really wanted to thank you, Rob, Aaron, uh, for your live shows slash videos, keeping us all sane through this time. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much. And honestly, you know, we talked about this the other day, but it, it's one of those situations where the honor is ours. And Listen, it is one thing for me to come into the studio, a.k.a. the spare bedroom in our place, uh, to come into the studio and, and do this show. But we are always so cognizant of the fact that so many of you guys choose to take time out of your day to come and hang out with us. That, that is, I, 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 it's an incredible honor. It is an incredible honor that I have to pinch myself about that sometimes. You know, I, I realize when we do like a live stream and it's like two hours long. And I still remember when I was getting ready to, when I was just starting movie talk for AMC and I went in for a meeting at YouTube, I went to their studios and they had this big uh, analyst and uh, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A consultant. And uh, YouTube gave us, sent us an official YouTube analyst consultant and them telling me, oh, this will never work. A 45 minute show. And now I do two hours. A 45 minute show will never work. As a matter of fact, I still remember because on top of trying to do some shows, we were also putting up interviews like my celebrity interviews and my celebrity interviews were like three to four minutes long. And this, this YouTube person was telling me, have you considered chopping up the interviews per question and making like three, one, because like really you want it to be about one minute long. You really want it to be about one minute long. And I'm, I'm like, no, I believe there is an audience for long form content. This is back in the day. And I said, I believe there is an audience for long form content. And yeah, maybe I would have more viewers or whatever if I did 15 minute shows and did a lot of pre-recorded stuff and did a lot of titling and whatever. Maybe if I, you know, did the bottom of the barrel scummy thing where I use my YouTube channel to talk about other YouTube channels. Maybe if I did all that kind of stuff, we get even more viewers than we do, but I love what we do. You know, I always, I want to make videos and shows that I would want to watch. That's all I can really do. Right. I, I can try to put together a show that I would be interested in watching. And then hope that if I would be interested in watching it, there will be some other people out there that would like to watch it too. But then the fact that you guys actually take time out of your day to come and hang out with me and Rob and Aaron and the other film fans here in the community, that's an amazing thing to me. So I appreciate you thanking me, but uh, honestly, a, a lot of it is that I have to thank you. I have to thank you very much for making this show possible and being here and being a part of it. And uh, thank you so much for sending in um, for sending in the, your first uh, comment there. I really appreciate that, Sarah. All right. Next up, 
We've got Orange Hand writes in again and writes, Hey, John, quite enjoyed your documentary. Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, as a big movie fan, are there any types of camera shots you find to be cliche or overused? An example might be when someone opens a fridge or cupboard and the camera is placed within. You know, it, it depends. Like, look, certain camera shots are like any other tool in a filmmaker's belt, right? It's just a tool. And like any tool, it can be used in a good way or in a bad way. A classic cliche shot, a guy going to the fridge and you see him walking up to the fridge and then the camera cuts to inside the fridge and then the door opens and you see the guy's face. Well, like that's actually an effective use because if that guy going into the fridge for something specific and there's going to be something communicated through his facial expressions and all that kind of stuff, then that's the right tool to use. That camera angle becomes the right tool to use in that given situation. So it's like anything else. It can be used well or not used well. Same is true of any shot. Same is true of any shot. The one thing I complain about quite often um, is the overuse of cuts. And like when there's a simple conversation going on in the street between character A and character B, hey, you'll want your medium shot. You'll want your over the shoulder left. You want your over the shoulder right and really move between that to, to bring the conversation to life. What I've seen happen a lot in the last couple of years, and this is really mo uh, true very much of amateur filmmakers as well, is or in particular is too many shots it's like because we've got our medium shot over the left over the right semi-medium wide shot medium shot from down low on the ground an overhead shot a blah 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 it's like too many shots that's something to me that does that that's not a tool that's just not having confidence in the material to keep the audience engaged quite often you create cuts and jumps to keep the audience visually engaged and that's not a bad thing that's not a bad thing but then over-reliance on it tells me that you're not confident that just the dialogue and the story being told is enough to hold the viewer anyway that's that's the one thing to me at any rate uh okay next up uh we've got my name jeff i love that name writes hey john I know you're not a big fan of Godzilla versus uh, or Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yeah, I did. I didn't like it, uh, but I'm curious to know, uh, is there anything you did like about the movie? Uh, my favorite scene is the ending where all the Titans bow before the king. I personally found that a little bit cheesy, but it was it was kind of cool, though. It, I mean, it was it was no more fan service than Mjolnir flying into Captain America's hand. So I'll give it that. Um, I have that final shot uh, in my room hanging on the wall. That's actually a pretty good image. That's a pretty good image. I give that. No, listen, I don't hate Godzilla King of the Monsters. I don't hate it at all, but I was disappointed in it. I didn't think it was all that good. And I was really excited for that movie, but it does have some redeeming qualities. Listen, straight up, um, when uh, Ghidorah and Godzilla, or whenever they're fighting, it's great to watch. Whenever they're actually fighting, those are great moments to watch. A lot of the character stuff was very disappointing. The whole, now let me tell you and lay out for you what our plan is and show you this extravagant you know, PowerPoint presentation. My prepare this presentation to explain our evil plan to you. But whenever it was actually like Godzilla fighting, particularly King Ghidorah, that was awesome. That stuff was great. 
And so, yeah, there's definitely, it's kind of like with me with the Phantom Menace. I do not like the Phantom Menace, but there are things in the Phantom Menace that I really like. The pod race scene, I will always love the pod race scene. I love the pod race scene. Obviously, you know, the Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Maul fight, awesome. Love that. So there are certain, there are definitely things in it. And I, again, I don't hate Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I just, I was disappointed. That's all. But yeah, whenever the monsters were fighting, that's when the movie was firing in all cylinders for me. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sam Phillip writes, hey, John, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much, Sam, and happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as well. Uh, did you see that the creator of Five Nights at Freddy's confirmed that the movie would begin shooting in spring? I'm personally very excited. How about you? Here's the thing. I am not going to take that tremendously seriously right now. And the reason I'm not taking it tremendously seriously at the moment is because I have heard this before. There have been official reports, like official reports that, you know, this and we're going to get this developed and we're looking to shooting at this time. And then that came and went. Nothing happened. And this and this and this. And we're going to shoot at this time all around Five Nights at Freddy's. And it never came to fruition. I am at the place right now when it comes to Five Nights at Freddy's that I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Now, personally, like, you know me, there are three immutable truths in life. Death taxes, video game movies suck. Uh, there have been, you know, the latest Tomb Raider movie was actually not bad. Anyway, Five Nights at Freddy's, the, the premise of Five Nights at Freddy's creates a great starting point for a fun little kind of horror film, right? It's a, it's a terrific premise for it. So I've actually been quite enthusiastic about the idea of a Five Nights at Freddy's movie for a long time, a long time, because that's how long they've been dragging this out. So I love that they're saying, hey, we're going to start shooting. And I, I love that. That's great. But I've heard you say it before. So I, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not going to get tremendous. I'm not going to get my hopes up right now. I'm not going to get tremendously excited because I will believe it when I see it. That's just the place where I'm at right now that I will have to believe it when I see it. All right. Uh, next up, we've got, thanks for writing that in, Sam, by the way. Uh, ben Rayner writes, hey, John, happy Turkey Day. Thank you so much. So a few weeks ago, I watched the Save by the Bell trailer, and uh, it got me, it got me to got probably meant get to get Peacock. And yesterday I sat down and watched the first episode of the reboot, ended up binging the whole season. Uh, Well-made good mix of new old and last. What do you think? Oh, I, I haven't watched it and I have no, I have no plans on watching it. I'll be honest with you. I don't get me wrong. Like anybody else, I have fond memories of saved by the bell. Uh, obviously I do. I have fond memories of saved by the bell, but I have no intention of watching this new one. I'm not saying it's bad. I can't say it's bad. I haven't seen it. So I'm not saying it's bad. But I'd be lying to you if I told you I had any interest, especially after watching trailers. I have zero interest in it. Absolutely none. So uh, I have no plans on watching it. But I guess Anne is planning on what my wife is planning on watching. She loves Saved by the Bell. Um, so she is planning on watching it. But listen, again, that's not me saying that it's bad because I haven't even watched it. But I've got a thousand things that I haven't watched. I just don't have time to do it. I'm trying to watch My Hero Academia right now. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm struggling. I have for years had so many people tell me, John, you got to watch My Hero Academia, including my wife. And I am now through five episodes. 
And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm struggling with it a bit. And the main reason, first of all, I love the the mythology of the world that at some point a little while ago, just people with superpowers started popping up and now they consist of 80% of the population. And now we have this hero who wasn't born with one. That's an interesting premise. But I'm five episodes through and I got to be honest, unlike Avatar The Last Airbender, which after five episodes, I was pretty hooked. Like, yeah, this is really good. I'm not having that experience with My Hero Academia and the main problem for me with my hero academia is the lead character i can't stand the lead character because it's been five episodes of whining and crying like every single line of dialogue from our from our main character there's always tears coming out of his eyes and he's always crying and he's always bitching and i'm like does this stop anytime soon because i'm getting really tired of it like it's, it's making it like, cause here's the thing. When I was watching Avatar, the last airbender, I could feel there, there was, especially in the first few episodes, there was a child's, a childishness to it, but the mythology was really rich and it never got to feel overly childish. And then as it developed, it started to feel even a little bit more mature, particularly with its themes and its story points. But I don't know. I'm, I I listen again. I'm struggling with this my hero academia thing because it just feels like it's for children at this point. Now, I have had a few people warn me that it gets better. I've had a few people tell me, John, when you start watching it, keep going with it. It does get better. Um, so I, I'll watch a few more episodes, but right now I am struck. I'm contemplating ditching on because I just find like the whole mythology of all might. Oh my God. I love that. That character's great. If this show was just all might and they took out the kid, I'd probably be loving the show right now, but I find the kid incredibly hard to watch right now. I'm finding him very, very hard to watch. So we'll see. We'll see how it progresses. All right. At any rate, uh, but no, I have no, I have no interest in watching the Saved by the Bell stuff. I'll just be honest with you. I got no desire to watch it. All right. Where are we at? GQ. Uh, GQ writes, uh, I kind of like Kevin Hart movies, but I never even smiled at his comedy standups. What do you think? I got to tell you, I, I really do like his standup. My problem with Kevin Hart comedy specials, at least a couple of them is that Kevin Hart at some point, he started incorporating these scripted skits. Like his comedy specials would be him on stage doing comedy, but then it would cut away from him on stage doing comedy to these pre-written scripted out skits that him and people would do, right? And I find those awful. I think they're terrible. I don't I don't grin. I don't smile at them in the least. I think they're awful. But I got to tell you, I personally do find a stand-up comedy really funny. I mean, it's like any comedian – I find much of it funny. And sometimes he says jokes that just, I think fall flat, but overall I really do like him. I do. I, I like Kevin Hart's comedy. Um, actually here, let me see if I can find this. I'm not totally sure I will be able to, but I'm going to try. Um, where's my search? Uh, okay. So regarding him as an actor, the thing about Kevin Hart as an actor is the one thing you cannot deny, and I as a Kevin Hart fan can also not deny, is that a lot of his um, his movies, he's the exact same guy, right? He's got his shtick. He's totally got his shtick. Um, 
in there, no doubt. But I like his shtick. I, I think, right, I haven't started getting tired of his shtick yet. I like he's the same guy in every movie he's in. But as of right now, I'm still really entertained by it. Now, at some point, at some point, I'm sure even for me, the shtick will start to get tired. I'm sure it will. But right now, I'm still really entertained by him. Whenever he's in a movie, I really like his character, even though he just plays the same guy all the time. Um, and I do like his stand-up comedy. Now, I I also have had a chance to meet uh, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. Kevin Hart. I keep, whenever I talk about Kevin Smith, I, uh, Kevin Hart, I always say, end up saying Kevin Smith. Uh, I've had a chance to actually hang out for a couple of hours with, with Kevin Hart. And uh, I got to tell you, he was uh, a totally great guy to sit down with. He was incredibly generous with his time. He was fun to hang around with. Um, he was just, it was really good. Like me, uh, my wife, Anne, and Dennis, uh, we actually hung out with him for a couple hours. He came down to, to the AMC Century City where we were waiting for him. And he was actually late because of some MTV Movie Award uh, um, rehearsals were going long. So he came and showed up like two hours late to the interview we were supposed to do. And he said, you know, I got nowhere to be. And, and he just hung out with us there for hours. And he was just very giving, very like really, really nice. I don't know much about Kevin Hart outside of that stuff. But yeah, I, I to this day consider myself a Kevin Hart fan. I really do. I think he's uh, I think he's quite good. And I like his comedy. Um, OK, Ryan Loner writes one of two. I flatter myself that I'm very I'm a very good chess player, including taking the Gary Kasparov's masterclass. Uh, and one of the things, and I'm terrible at chess, just, you know, I'm terrible at chess. Uh, one of the things I was most impressed with the Queen's Gambit was how they were able to, to portray complicated strategies. Um, two, two. In a way, they're even, uh, in a way, when even people who have no idea what terms like fork, skewer, and pin mean can get an idea of what's happening. And for someone like me, we still get to enjoy some great chess playing modeled after Grandmaster games. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Anne, Anne was watching Queen's Gambit and we even started talking. Maybe we should play chess together because I, I, I know how to play chess, but I am not a chess player. You know what I mean? I know how to play chess. I am not a chess player. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's that. But you know, I feel the same way about a good poker movie. Like people may not know what a double gutter means and people may not know what the turn is and people may not know what splash the pot means or whatever. Um, but if you watch a good movie about poker, I take rounders, for example, if you watch a good movie about poker, they make it kind of self-evident. And even though I know very little about chess, like I know how to play, but I am not a chess player. Even though I know very, very little about chess, when I was watching Queen's Gambit, I, I never once felt like I was being left behind. I was like, oh, I, I get what it is they're doing. They make it self like when they start using jargon, I felt like they were doing it in such a way that I was able to follow along. Like I got it. I understood it. And so that was uh that was good for me. All right, let's move on here. Uh next up is Eduardo O'Neill who writes. Congrats on the new movie. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. We'll be renting soon. By the way, I saw on Twitter that you started My Hero Academia. I just talked about thoughts on what you've seen so far. Again, I I like the idea. I like the premise they've set up and this UA high school thing. I like the the world they've kind of set up. I'm just I'm having a very difficult time getting through it because of the main character. 
it is a very childish, very annoying, very hard to watch when he's on screen oh, constantly crying and doing this and always talking like that. Like I'm finding it very difficult. So I'm going to hang again because I like the world so much. I'm going to hang in there. But right now I'm just kind of struggling with it a bit or water. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, Brian learns stuff, right? So I like that. Um, uh, happy Turkey Day, John. Congrats on your film. Thank you so much. I got to rent it last night via Prime Video and watched it uh, in my own IMAX theater. Thanks to the Oculus Quest 2. Watching your doc in a giant virtual theater was an exceptional experience. Thank for all you did. That is awesome. You know, we were talking the other day. Uh, on the show about the Oculus Quest and VR. One of the very, very first VR things I ever experienced was a VR movie theater where you could pull up like YouTube videos or other types of videos to play on this giant screen in this virtual movie theater. It's an awesome experience. I I'm not a big VR guy. Like, like I have an Oculus Quest, but I'm not a big VR guy. And I found that to be awesome. So thank you so much, man, for checking out the movie that way. I really appreciate it. All right. I Detoro writes, uh, first, happy Thanksgiving uh, to U.S. viewers. Second, my question deals with old tech in movies. I see an old movie with typewriters and old phones. I'm not phased. I see a 1980s movie with a DOS computer and I'm shocked. Why do you think that is? Uh, thanks. I share your show on social media. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, DeToro. Um, I DeToro. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know what? I feel the same way. And I think a part of it might be because... Like, let's take um, phones, for example, right? A lot of the iconography that we still have when it comes to phones is still the old style phone. When we, when it comes to like, even like my, my phone, my, my smartphone, it's set up that when I type letters on it, it gives a little typewriter click sound, right? I, I kind of like that. Uh, a lot of computers do. We still use email and use physical envelope symbols to represent mail and things like that. So there's certain things, technology, advancement, whatever, that maybe we don't use anymore, but that are still a part of our modern iconography, right? And so we're kind of adjusted to it. We know it. We still interact with that. Like even look at on iPhone, the phone symbol is usually still like a lot of smartphone phone symbols will still be like a rotary phone thing or the old style block style phone that used to sit on your table and you'd pick up the receiver and talk, right? A lot of, we, we still use that iconography, but then when you pop on like war games with Matthew Broderick and you watch war games from like, what is that from? Like 1984 or something. Like, anyway, and they're using the 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 16K modem and with that connecting to the internet sound, and it's like this this monochrome uh, dosing. That that's just not a part of our modern iconography. It's, it's just not a part of our daily experience anymore. And therefore, and I'm just theorizing here. Therefore, to me, I think that's what makes it feel more alien and makes it us feel a little bit more disconnected from it. 
uh, than other things. Whereas all these other things, I feel like we still interact with those things a little bit on every, on, uh, on any given day. So, I mean, that's my theory. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'm way off base, but that's kind of my theory on that. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Uh, let's see next up the MPAA Gestapo writes, happy Thanksgiving, John and everyone just want to say thanks for doing what you do. And thanks to you. I've binged all of Kim's convenience. Mr. Chin is my spirit. Aunt. I love Mr. Chin. Mr. Chin is great in that. I love his banter with Mr. Kim. Anyway, for those of you who do not know, uh, you should be watching. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, do, 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 do. I'm just gonna see if I can find up a thing. Uh, Kim's convenience. Let me see if you guys have not watched Kim's convenience, you absolutely 1000% should be watching Kim's convenience. Um, it is a touching show. It's absolutely hilarious. You might recognize the main guy in the middle, Mr. Kim. He's just been in a couple of episodes of Mandalorian as the X-Wing fighter pilot. The dude in the red shirt kneeling down, um, that's Shang-Chi now. That's going to be Marvel Cinematics Universe, the star of, of uh, Shang-Chi. I think his name is Simu Yu. Lu, Simu Lu, I believe is his name. I might be mispronouncing his name. Forgive me on that. But uh, a good Canadian show that flew under my radar until a few months ago when our friend Kaori, she got, she got us to check it out. And I am absolutely passionately in love with this show. The two best shows I've seen in the last couple of years are Canadian shows that I am way late to the party on. Kim's Convenience and Schitt's Creek. These are two of the best sitcoms I've ever seen. And if you have not started watching Kim's Convenience, I highly, highly recommend uh, that you uh, give it a shot, jump in there, and uh, and check it out because these shows are great. All right, let's keep going here. Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, I will more than likely not be in attendance today because I'll probably be on my second, maybe third plate of food on the verge of a food coma, but happy Thanksgiving to all. That's right, because it's 1135 in the morning here, which means on the East Coast in Canada and the United States, it's already like 2.30 in the afternoon. So a lot of you are probably already well into the... Uh, the Thanksgiving festivities. So no problem at all. I know I am very excited. Ann and I, for, I don't know how we got roped into it. Ann and I are hosting Thanksgiving this year. Again, we're just gonna have a small, small, just a couple of immediate family members, but we decided to actually get it catered this year instead of going through the, the hassle and time that we just didn't have to prepare everything. But we got it from a great place that we really like that. We already like the food from. And, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I am very much planning by about 4 p.m. my time local, I am going to be in a food coma somewhere. I am going to be stretched out, flat on my back, knocked out from a food coma. I absolutely plan on doing that, and uh, it is what it is. All right. Uh, Qui-Gon Gin and Tonic writes, Hey, John, big UK fan from the AMC days here. Thank you so much, Qui-Gon. Uh, why do studios release beforehand how many episodes a cast member will appear in? For me, this is a minor spoiler example. If a character is in peril, I know they will survive as they are contracted for more episodes. Now, that was number one. Does that mean number one? Oh, yeah. Or vice versa. Uh, as I now know that Ahsoka Tano will only appear in one episode this season, I can assume something dramatic will happen. I feel like it takes away from the suspense and intrigue. Well, this is an important thing to note, and we bring this up every once in a while. When people 
find something out through a report and I can take down Kim's convenience. Now, when people find out something through a report, they think that the studio announced it many times. That's not the case. Listen, outlets like variety, the Hollywood reporter entertainment weekly, they have sources and they find out information. Then they verify it and they run it. It doesn't mean the studio wanted that information out there. They didn't want people to know this, but it gets found out. The trades who have all the real connections, they then report it, and it is what it is. So um, Favreau and Lucasfilm and Disney, they never announced that Ahsoka Tano was only going to be in one episode. They never announced that. Back when they announced that Rosario Dawson was going to be playing Ahsoka Tano, when they announced that she was going to be playing Ahsoka Tano, uh, I remember, uh, I remember saying on my show, oh, she'll, first of all, I loved it. Even though I don't like the Ahsoka Tano character, I, that, that's no secret. Everybody knows I, I am not a fan of the Ahsoka Tano character, but even I, who am not a fan of the Ahsoka Tano character, even I had to say I was excited about this because Rosario Dawson is the bomb. I hate using that phrase, but it's true. She is, to quote Guy Fieri, the bomb.com. I hate, I hate the fact that I just quoted Guy Fieri, but there you go. That's what she is. She's amazing. She is one of my favorite actresses in the business. I've had a celeb crush on her ever since, probably even before Clerks 2, but Clerks 2 is such a special movie to me uh, because it, 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 it happened at a certain time in my life when some of the themes going on in Clerks 2 was something that I was kind of going through at the time. And that movie is forever very special to me. And Rosario Dawson is so good in that movie. She will always be. But anyway, she's also just a terrific, terrific, terrific actress. And her playing that character is a great match. Great match. Great fit. And even though I'm not an Ahsoka Tano fan, even I have to say I'm looking forward to seeing Ahsoka Tano in Mandalorian because she's being played by Rosario Dawson. I'm looking forward to it. I am. Never thought you'd hear me say that, but it's true. That being said, even when the news first came out that Rosario Dawson was going to be playing Ahsoka Tano, I said on that same episode, um, she'll probably only be in for one episode. I said that same episode of the John Campbell show last year. I said, she'll probably only be in it for one episode because that's kind of what it did, right? Even when they had Ming-Na Wen show up in the first season, she showed up, gone in one episode. Whenever they had a guest star, I was like, they showed up and gone in one episode. And I, even I said, look, it's pretty clear. If they're going to have a Sokotano, it's probably going to be one, one thing. Now, as time passed on, we then found out that that was actually true. We found out that that was true. But yeah, a lot of times it's not a matter of the, uh, the studio letting people know that somebody's only going to be in for one episode. Um, and, um, yeah, it, it's a matter of outlets and news outlets. They find out about it and then report on it. And that's how we find out. So don't always hold it against the studio when certain information comes out. Anyway, there's that. All right. Next up, Tristan writes, um, Hey John, just rented your documentary and really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I'm curious. Did you have to jump any legal hurdles to show any of the movie clips in your documentary? All right. That's a great question. Um, and yes, yeah, there were legal hurdles. Listen in my movie about movie trailers, 
spoiler alert, I show some movie clips or some trailer clips, I should say. I show trailer clips. There is a doctrine in law known as fair use. You've probably heard of it, right? Uh, most people misunderstand what fair use actually is. A lot of people think fair use means if I don't make any money from it, I can play that song. No, it does not. That is not what fair use means. If you don't make money from it, you can use copywritten material. No, no, that's not what fair use is. That is not what fair use is. Fair use is a very specific construct, legal construct, that is really a doctrine that, you know, certain material, certain copywritten material can be used without permission if it meets certain criteria. If the use of that co copywritten material meets certain criteria. And so I am versed in fair use. So I knew how to apply those principles to when I would use a clip from a trailer in my movie. But even then, even though I know what fair use is and I know the proper application of it, even then I had to go and specifically hire an entertainment lawyer who specifically specializes in fair use law. And so I went out and I hired, uh, that was one of the, one of the most expensive things of my movie actually was having to hire this lawyer. That was actually one of the more expensive things of my movie. Everything else, I was able to keep the cost down, but I had to go out and get this lawyer to, who, like I said, specializes in fair use. Uh, they watched the movie. I had to get, Jonathan and I had to make this like multiple, like huge list of all the times we had to create this specific log with time code and everything of every time we used a piece of material in our movie that we did not own the copyright for. And we had to log it all out and it came out to hundreds. And then we had to give the lawyer the movie. The lawyer went through them bit by bit, then sent us his first report saying, yep, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. This has got to be changed. This is cool. This is cool. This has got to be changed. This is cool. We got to talk about this and we got to talk about this. That's got to be changed. This is cool. This is cool. This is cool. So then we had to take that report, then go back into the movie and re-edit things to make sure that everything we used in the movie properly fell within the proper definitions of fair use so that we are legally safe. And then when that was done, the lawyer drafted what's called a legal letter of opinion that I then have to have. I have to have that lawyer's legal letter of opinion, basically saying that as an expert in fair use law, this lawyer believes that all the application of fair use was applied properly in this movie. So yes, there, there were hurdles I had to jump through. Absolutely there was. And a lot of work and a lot of money, but it, it was necessary. So yeah, there's that. All right, next up. Abdul writes, hey, John, loved your movie. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, man. And thank you for a continuous inspiration. Uh, thanks to your escapism. I have started my own podcast. That's awesome. Good on you, man. Uh, we'll be attending and acting, directing and writing workshops. I truly love your movie. And I was so inspired by your efforts. Thank you so much for that, man. That Listen, I love hearing when my other fellow movie fans decide to get involved in blogging, podcasting, YouTubing, go out, take, I think that's great. Go out, take a workshop. 
I love that. I, I, I honestly, I, I'm now embarrassed that I don't recommend that. I've gone and taken workshops. Workshops can be a lot of fun, man. I think that is great. Good on you for taking that initiative. And seriously, I'm very, very humbled that you found what we do as part, partly inspiring for that. So thank you so much for that. And best of luck. I hope you have a great time doing it. And I hope you really enjoy it, my friend. Good luck on that. All right, next up. Um, let's see. Jose Rios writes, how do you feel about, uh, Figueredo defending his title again in two weeks already? Fastest turnaround for a champion. He defeated Alex Perez easily. How do you see him against, uh, Brandon Moreno? Listen, uh, Brandon Moreno. Listen, this dude is a living, walking Tasmanian devil. I don't find flyweights all that intimidating. All right. Uh, uh, hold on a second. Okay, I don't find flyweights all that intimidating. I really don't. But this dude, I always mispronounce his name, Figueredo. This dude is straight up savage. He is straight up savage. Let me bring up a picture of this guy. Like this dude for a flyweight is intimidating and scary and he destroys people he he ends fights and he wrecks people and this little guy i think he's 145 if i'm not mistaken i he's either 145 or 135 i'm, I'm embarrassed right now that i can't remember um what weight class that is hold on a second uh what weight is ufc flyweight i think it's a no 125 oh no that's that's not ufc you know what wait is it is it 125 it is 125 holy crap this little guy look at that guy tell me that guy doesn't scare the crap out of you of course he scares the crap out of you and when you watch him fight when you watch him fight this dude is savage absolutely savage uh, like I said, he's a Tasmanian devil. Uh, listen, he he won that first fight easily. Uh, he got the finish in the first round. He was completely unscathed. And I like it in the UFC, to be honest with you. Uh, I really dig it when, you know, a fighter wins a fight. We've seen the UFC do this a number of times. When a fighter wins a fight, to have that fighter turn around and fight again, like if they win their fight in like one round, 45 seconds, a minute and a half, and they never took any shots and they never took anything, you know what? Why not let them fight again within the next couple of weeks? They've put in all the work of like a six-month training camp. They're, they're primed, they're peaked, they're ready to go. And it's like, okay, I just did 45 seconds of work. Give me another fight. Because normally there a number of months are in between a fighter's fights. Like the average fighter, I think, will have like maybe three fights, two to three fights a year. Some get are very, very active and do way more than that, like a Donald Cowboy Cerrone. But yeah, I'm all for. And you're right, I've never seen a champion do it like this. So why not him? I think he's a great, I think he's a great choice to do it. So why not him indeed? Uh all right, let's see here. Uh where we go. Okay, we are now at um Tongers Viking writes, Hey, John, loved your documentary. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Did you see the trailer for The Prom? Love the Broadway show. Can't wait to hear Meryl Streep belt her ass off. I'm not going to lie to you. That cast for The Prom is amazing. And I thought the trailer was terrible. 
I thought the trailer for the prom was terrible. And I love this cast. I love this cast. So let me just bring up the cast here. Because it is, you've got uh, Keegan-Michael Key, you got Meryl Streep, you got uh, Nicole Kidman, who we were just talking about in Moulin Rouge. Who else we got in here? Kerry Washington is in it. James Corden, who is actually, you know, I don't watch James Corden's show. I don't. But when he's in movies, I really like him in movies, surprisingly enough. Uh, Tracy Ullman's in there. I mean, uh, Logan Riley's in there. I love this cast. I love this cast. I did not like the trailer at all. Now, to be fair, I haven't seen the live action Broadway show, so I'm not familiar with the source material that's behind it or anything like that. But yeah, I, I'd be lying to you if I told you I liked the trailer because I didn't, unfortunately. Unfortunately, did not like the trailer. But you know, whatever. That's just me. I hope it's great, though. And listen, if you got the street monster, you got... You got Nicole Kidman in there. I think it's got a good chance of being very, very good. But unfortunately, it's one of those situations where this might be one of those situations where it's a bad trailer to a good movie. But we'll see. All right. Next up, Stubble McShave writes, congratulations on the successful launch of your documentary. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody for making it a success. Seriously, guys, you guys blew me away. I am. I'm, I'm so thankful for. Uh, the first day numbers that came in on the documentary and thank you guys for trusting me and spending some your time to watch my movie. I, I'm incredibly honored by it and I, I'm floored. So uh, if you haven't done it yet, go on out and get movie trailers, a love story, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, uh, congratulations on the successful launch of your doc. Schnepp's doc was pirated a lot in comparison. Do you think the current streaming release opportunities would have treated Schnepp's documentary more kindly? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, you know, it, it is, it is one of the, one of the most heartbreaking things that I ever experienced with John Schnepp. I mean, obviously, other than his passing, obviously, was how much his movie got pirated and how much that devastated him. That devastated him. And the reason it devastated him was not just because, hey, all these people taking this, taking this movie that I worked so hard on for so long, maxed out all my credit cards, spent everything I had to make this thing. And they're just finding ways to take it. People just finding ways to take it. And that's, that's going to affect my ability to, to continue making content because people are just stealing what I made besides that. And that's crushing enough. What really hurt him was you would be hard pressed ever in history to find an individual who loved the geek fan community. I mean, he was king of the sweaties. You will be hard pressed to find anybody in history that truly loved the fan community like John Schnepp did. And what really crushed him was knowing so many people in that community he loved so much were the ones that were just taking his film. And, and hurting him. And that really devastated him. I think it would have been a little bit different had Death of Superman Lives What Happened come out today with the variety of different opportunities that people can just very easily watch it on streaming and make money for the filmmaker. I think he might have had a different experience. 
I think he very well could have had a different experience. Because the only way for, for, for a while, the only way a person could watch it is if they found where they could buy the, the DVD, pay for the DVD, wait for it physically to be delivered to them and all that kind of stuff. If he could have been in a situation like I'm in, where it's like, hey, you want to watch Movie Trails of Love Story? All you got to do is click, 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 and you're watching it right now. I think if that had been the situation when The Death of Superman Lives, what happened was coming out, I think he, I, I think it would have limited that amount of heartbreak that he that he had on that. But listen, at the end of the day, I don't want to talk like the death of Superman lives what happened was some kind of tragic story. I mean, it's still an absolute triumph. It was so good. I was so proud of him for that movie that he made. And uh and yeah, but I do think it probably would have been a little bit different. I think things would have been a bit different. All right, next up. Starscream writes, uh, what changed your mind going from just rental to the ability to purchase your movie? Congratulations on your movie release in honor of your movie. I shall not subjugate or try to overthrow anyone today. I uh, love you and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Thank you so much. Starscream. So yeah, what uh, I made a, a bit of a shift. The, the plan for me was to make the movie, uh, movie trailers, a love story available for rent period. What changed my mind, honestly, was my Patreon supporters. They changed my mind because a few days before we launched, we officially launched the movie, I gave early access to our Patreon supporters who have been so supportive of me, well, just of me and this channel for so long, but in particular, have been very, very supportive about my movie. And I got feedback from a lot of them that said, hey, you know what? I, I loved watching it, but... We really think you should give a purchase option. And so it was, it was honestly like it was literally 15 minutes before we launched the, we officially launched the movie that made the decision. All right, we'll make a purchase option. And that was because I listened to my Patreon supporters. My Patreon supporters were the one who planted that in my head and encouraged me to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about it with Ann a bit and thought, you know what, this is, this is what pe some people want. So why not? make it available. So, uh, that's what did it. It was my Patreon supporters that convinced me to do it. So, uh, blame them, blame the Patreon supporters. Uh, all right, next up we got James, uh, Betha. All right. Hey, John, I'm a huge fan. I was just got through watching uh, last of the Mohicans, Daniel day Lewis stay alive. Uh, and was wondering why don't we see more stories about native Americans? I uh, just wanted to know your thoughts and is there any stories you would like to be told? I, I you know, I don't have other than genres. I don't really have a, a high desire to see like, Oh, you, we specifically have to tell stories about this or we specifically have to tell stories about Italians or whatever. Like as just an average film fan, I don't, I don't feel that desire. I'm more about the genre, right? I'm more about the genre than I am about who specifically is in it. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, look, there's a couple things. Every once in a while, a really good movie that's based around a, a native American community comes out and I am no socio, you know, uh, uh, expert at all. Right. I'm not a sociology expert, but you know, you'll get like wind river, which I thought was so freaking good. And of course you get some of the, you know, more cliche ones like dances with wolves, which is a legit insanely good movie and won tons of Academy awards and blah, 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 blah. Last of the Mohicans. Um, 
I, I don't know. I think it's the same thing that we don't. It's the same reason. And it's not a good reason. It's just the reason. I think it's the same reason why we don't have a lot of movies with Asian leads or not a lot of movies uh, in, in North America with Pakistani leads or a lot of movies with whatever ethnicity. Right. The, the studios just think, and it's not that the studios are racist or anything. The studios are just a business. They're just going to go with where they think the money is. And there has been for a long time this sense that, hey, the majority of North American audiences are white audiences. So they are more likely to buy, since that's the biggest demographic, they are, people are more likely to buy tickets to these movies if we have people that look like them in it. And I think that's been the mentality for a long time. And again, I don't blame studios for that mentality. It's a business. They're not charities. Studios aren't charities. They're businesses. They're going to make decisions that do good business. I get that. But there's a fine line between pursuing good business and, ex and active exclusion. And unfortunately, also in Hollywood, for over a century, there has been a very, very active and aggressive agenda of exclusion in Hollywood for a very long time, excluding minorities, excluding women. Exclu there's, there's just been a very aggressive agenda in Hollywood for a century or more of exclusion. And that's got to be addressed too. So I, but I think the main part today, but why don't we see more about, you know, telling native American stories. I think it's because they just worry whether they're right to worry about it or not. I think they just worry that will they find an audience Right. That's their worry. But things are changing for a long time. Studios didn't know. Can a movie with a black superhero lead do well? Black Panther came out and showed that you can. Can a movie in North America with an all Asian cast do well? Crazy, uh, crazy rich Asians came out and proved that that movie made twenty six million dollars in its opening weekend. In it's opening weekend. So it showed, oh, look, we can't. So I think Hollywood is starting to see they can do these sorts of things. So I'm going to be interested in seeing where is Hollywood going to be five, six years from now and see how things will, will change on that level. So we'll have to see. And I'm glad you like Last of the Mohicans. That movie is uh, that movie is just absolutely stunning. It's absolutely fantastic. And I love it. All right. Next up, we've got Alex who writes. Uh, what are your thoughts on Godzilla versus Kong most likely heading to streaming? Well, again, I, I, right now that is not actually factual. I know that's the headline that the Hollywood reporter ran, but that's their interpretation of the event of the events. And it very well could Godzilla versus Kong very well could end up going straight to streaming. But as of right now, Warner brothers in their own statement in that story said, no, our plans for Godzilla versus Kong is to do our theatrical release. That's what we're doing. That can change, whatever. So it's it's just something we'll keep our eye on, but it's not really something to take too terribly seriously yet. Again, because there are streamers making a play for the movie, but right now, Warner Brothers is saying we have we don't have any plans right now to put this thing straight to streaming. So until that changes, there's not a lot to have thoughts on yet. Other than to say, if they does go straight to streaming. If you guys watched my episode uh, last week about Black Widow and why Disney is going all in on streaming, if you guys watched that, you know that I'm not going to be surprised at all if that's what they do. All right. Chris writes, hey, John, 
I love all that you do. Thank you so much, Chris. I just wanted to say uh, I'm very thankful for your show. The first time I ever watched you was when you and Schnepp talked about Affleck being cast as Batman. I'll never forget that. Uh, and I've been a fan since. Your show has kept me up uh, whenever I've been sad. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. And that's awesome that we get to, that the film fan community at all gets to be that. And listen, the film fan community has been that for me many, many times in my life. Many, many times in my life. Sometimes all we need, not always, but sometimes... All we need is just that little oasis. We just, when I got some crappy stuff going on in life, sometimes all we need is that little oasis that we can just give our mind a bit of a rest, talk about some things we love with other people who love the same things and just refresh our minds and then come back into the situation where all the crappy stuff is. And we're just in a better place to deal with it. You know what I mean? That's happened to me a lot. Um, and I'll never forget I will never forget. And it's so funny. All these bandwagon fans, right, who pretend now, who pretend that, oh, I always loved Ben Affleck's casting. Lies. So many lies. We remember that day that Ben Affleck was announced as Batman. We remember the world laughed. And all these people put, remember all these memes? Let me see if, I bet you I can find one right now. Um, um, then they said Ben Affleck is Batman. Let me see. I bet you I can find one. Yeah, here it is. This, this, remember this one? This was all over the internet. This is the one everybody was sharing, right? Remember this? This meme went like viral. Everybody was sharing this. And they Christian. And then they said, we don't need you. We'll get Ben Affleck. Ha, 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 ha. And everybody laughed. Everybody laughed. I didn't laugh. Not 10 minutes after the official announcement came out. For those of you who haven't been around as long as that. Not 10 minutes after the official announcement came out. John Schnepp and I jumped online. And we did a video and we were both like, this is brilliant. Ben Affleck will be a fantastic Batman. Ben Affleck's going to be a fantastic Batman. And everybody said, can't be you're an idiot. Well, everybody says that all the time anyway. But can't be you're an idiot. This is a joke. And everybody laughed. And everybody put out their memes and blah, blah, blah. Turns out he is an awesome Batman. Even, even people. Here's how good he was as Batman. Even people. And there's a lot of people who didn't like Batman versus Superman. I did, but a lot of people didn't. But even amongst the people who didn't like Batman versus Superman, it's like, yeah, that movie sucks. But yeah, Ben Affleck was pretty good as Batman. Like even people who didn't like the movie were like, yeah, but Ben Affleck was pretty good, right? That's how good he was. I thought he was a great Batman. And I'm, I'm glad you've been around since then. Uh, that, I'm, I'm glad you've been around since then, man. It's, thanks for sharing that. All right, let's see what's next here. Um, do, 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 where are we at here? Chris writes, is it Chris? No, it's Luke. Luke one, two, three, four writes. Hey, John, I was curious uh, on how you got a movie trailers, a love story on Amazon prime was prime. The only one to accept it, or is it also on Google play and voodoo? I'm looking forward to watching it. So here's the basic gist of it. So I, I worked with a movie aggregator. There's a, like, there's a lot of these, for instance, like with Google, and with um, iTunes and with Netflix, you can't just put your movies up on there, right? You have to, they will work with specific sales agents and distributors and aggregators and things like that. 
there is there are two main film aggregators in the business. And the one I was communicating with was Bitmax is the name of the company. And like places like iTunes and Google and Amazon and all that kind of stuff, they will take content from Bitmax if you can get your thing into Bitmax. So um, I was able to get my thing on Amazon. Now I was also had the opportunity to put my movie on, um, on iTunes and put it on Google play. That w- option was open to me. The problem is that it was going to cost me several thousand dollars to do the administrative stuff to get it all set and on there, not to mention iTunes and Google play take a certain percentage of whatever. And for me to get my movie on Amazon, it didn't cost me anything. Amazon takes a cut just like iTunes and Google would have, but there was no upfront administrative cost. There were still QCs that had to be done and it still had to go through a review process and it still had to be accepted. Yes. But uh, it, for me, it was just a matter of economics and finances. And to me, I honestly, listen, I didn't know if I was going to make $10 on this movie. I'm not going to, and I'm not lying. Oh, John, you're just being modest. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I, I honestly didn't know if I was going to make $10 on this movie. And so I chose to go that route. Vimeo is completely different. Anybody can put their stuff on Vimeo. And let me bring up the uh, Vimeo thing again. Anybody can put up their stuff on Vimeo, right? You can do that. Vimeo became a really nice option for me because Amazon, I only had the option of making it available on Amazon in the US and the UK. Vimeo became an excellent second option for two reasons. One, and now we're just talking about the, for those of you who are interested in doing stuff, I'm just talking about this so you guys can know what you might expect if you want to try to do something like this, because I encourage everybody to try something like this. Vimeo, there were two particular advantages. Number one, it's worldwide, right? There's no territorial difference. You can watch this Vimeo.com slash on-demand slash movie trailers. You can watch that in the United States. You can watch it in Canada. You can watch it in India. You can watch it in Russia. You can watch it in in, uh, Slovakia. You can watch it wherever you are. You can watch it. So that was advantage number one. The second advantage of Vimeo was they take a smaller cut than like Amazon or Google or iTunes work, a significantly smaller cut. So it also made more financial sense to me. So I just wanted to make sure I had all the bases covered and you can employ whatever, you know, when you make your own thing, you're going to have some decisions to make about what kind of release strategy you want. For me, this was a strategy that made sense. It kept my expenses low. It minimized the, uh, the amount of cut that the streamers were going to take. Amazon has a certain cut that they do take, but you know, it also, there was no additional expense for me to get it on Amazon once it cleared everything. And uh, with Vimeo, it was just a great option, not the primary streaming source, obviously, but it was a great option to make sure it was available everywhere. And so, yeah, that's kind of the process. I, I know that you, a lot of you guys find that uh, boring talking about that, but I, I like talking about the little ins and outs, um, kind of uh, the, the ins and outs of the actual stuff doing that. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, next up, we have Stubble McShave writes, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving where I'm from. Uh, that being said, I'm thankful for you and Rob. All of society has low level depression right now, as if a wet blanket has covered everyone's life. Your show lifts up the blanket for a few hours to make the sun shine through. And you know what? Listen, I, I get it. 
uh, and I agree. 2020 has been a giant paddle to the ass. It's been a giant paddle to the ass. There's just no getting around it. Not to say some good things haven't happened this year. Of course they have. But, you know, there, there are people losing jobs. There are people who can't work. There are people who, you know, just, just the idea that they can't live their normal life and go out and do the social things that they normally do. Uh, there are people, not to mention the people who've gotten sick. And there's over 85, I saw a statistic. There was over 85,000 people in America alone right now in hospital as a result of COVID right now. And hospitals are being completely packed to capacity. It's a depressing situation. People are dying. It's awful. I, I mean, it's just, you're right. 2020 has been that kind of year. And I'm not trying to give a pep talk, but I find in the midst of crappy stuff going on, that is when you find you are most thankful for the things you have. It is when you're most aware of the things you don't have that you find yourself being even more thankful for the things you do. And whatever other crap is going on in my life, I have an incredible partner. My wife is amazing. She's my best friend. Um, I am able to do the things I love. And I have a fan community that I'm, I get to be a part of. And... There's a lot of things that I, I haven't got to do. I've, I, I missed my grandfather's, fuck, I get emotional whenever I think about this. I missed my grandfather's funeral. The guy I was named after. That's why my name's Giovanni. He was named after my grandfather who envisioned a better life for his family, left Italy, came over to Canada to build a life and then brought my grandmother and my dad and his siblings brought them over. He, my grandfather came over with his brothers because the purpose of my grandfather's life, as far as he was concerned, was to build a better future for his children and his children's children. And I get to have the life I have because of the sacrifices and choices that my grandfather made. My nono. He died a short while ago and I didn't get to go to his funeral. I didn't get to go say goodbye. That is a sucky feeling that I, I haven't gotten over yet. That's a sucky feeling that because of COVID and travel restrictions, Canada won't let you in. And if you do, you have to go into strict quarantine for two weeks. So there's no, I couldn't get to the funeral in the midst of all that. And there are other people who have it much worse. There are people who have it much worse. But in the midst of all that, I find in life, and maybe you guys relate with this, maybe you don't, in the midst of the crappy stuff, that's when you really tend to really appreciate the things you do have. And, and that's why Thanksgiving this year, in the midst of this crappy, crappy year, why Thanksgiving to me is, uh, is, is actually still pretty special. I, I'm very aware of the things to be thankful for. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, thanks for writing that in, Stubble. All right, next up. Uh, uh, go... Go stop rights. Hey, John, thank you for having a show today. My pleasure, man. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's nice to be able to hang with all of our international friends and talk about movies as I'm unable to go home for Thanksgiving because of COVID. I'm right there. Anna and I aren't going to be able to go back to Canada for Christmas this year. It sucks. Anyway, 
Uh, because of COVID. my question is, who would you like to play Magneto in the MCU? Thanks. Ooh, like Magneto, for those of you who do not know, Magneto, Mag, why do I say it like that? Magneto, why did I say it like that? I have no idea. Magneto, Eric, is not just one of my favorite movie characters. Magneto is um, my all-time favorite comic book character, period. Not my favorite villain, Magneto, because he's such a multi-dimensional sort of character. Magneto is my all-time favorite comic book character. Who would I like to see him play in the MCU? I have no opinion of that. I really don't. And here's why I have no opinion of it. All I care about is do they get a very talented actor? That's all I care about. I, I, I care about nothing else. And the reason I care about nothing else is because who would be the right person to play it is completely dependent on what is the script. If the script writes Magneto this way, then one set of actors might be a good fit for him. And another set of actors might not be a good fit. If the script writes Magneto a little bit differently and kind of emphasizes this, whatever this is, emphasizes this instead. Well, then now that group of actors may not be such a good fit. Maybe this other group of actors would become a better fit if they do it this way. So basically, this is why I don't generally get into the, John, which X actor should play X role? I generally don't get into that because unless I've read the script and know exactly what this character is supposed to be, it's impossible for me to have a really good idea about who would be a good fit for that character then. All I care about then is do they get somebody really talented? Thus, when they announced that Rosario Dawson was going to be Ahsoka Tano, I got excited because she's a great actress, right? But if you were to ask me before that announcement who should play Ahsoka Tano, I'd say I don't care. Just get somebody who's talented. Right. So that's kind of the same position where I'm at right now. And it's even more important now because Magneto, like I said, is my favorite character. So I'm not going to create some narrative in my head about who would make who would do well playing that role when I don't even really know what's going to go into the role yet. So that's that's kind of where I'm at on that. But I cannot wait, man. I cannot wait to see what they do, because like I said, it's my favorite character of all time, man. And, wh and how lucky are we that guys like Ian McKellen have played him? The guys like Michael Fassbender have played him and both done such an incredible job with the character. And I just look forward to seeing whoever they get to play him next. All right. <clears throat> James Argenta writes, over under 70% that we see Ahsoka versus Dark Troopers in The Mandalorian on Friday. Note, I sent this on Thanksgiving if this is read on Friday. Nope, it's being read today on Thanksgiving. Um, whoo, listen, I think that's exactly what they set up, right? In the last episode. That's what they set up. He's going to go see Ahsoka. There is a uh, tracking device on the ship. We saw the dark troopers. I think it kind of writes itself. Now, 70%. So I think that's likely that that's what's going to happen. We're going to see Ahsoka versus dark troopers. Ahsoka and Mando and maybe even some baby Yoda magic hands. So definitely over 50 Ooh, 70 means really likely. I, I don't know. I, I'll go under 70. I'm, I'm, that's a big, 70 is just a big number. So I'll go under 70. Although I do think it's likely that it will happen. I'll go over 50 for sure. But I think 70 is a little bit high. So I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see. All right. Marie Seifring writes, 
and sends in $20. Marie, thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level. Really appreciate it. Uh, Marie writes, Hey, John, back in September, Variety broke the news that Samuel Jackson was going to appear as Nick Fury in a new series for Disney+. Plus. Have you heard any updates on this? Thanks and happy Thanksgiving. None. No updates at all. It's funny. Me and a friend of mine were just talking about that like a couple of weeks ago. But I'm, I'm not concerned or surprised that we haven't heard any updates on it yet. Because, look, they have so many things on their plate right now between She-Hulk, um, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, what do we do with Black Widow, Eternals, Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, Blade, they're still they're saying they're going to do, Black Panther 2. They have so many. Then what do we do with the mutants? They have so many things on the go. That the pen, then the pandemic hits and it puts, I'm sure there's been a lot of things on Marvel's plate that then just got pushed back even more. So I have heard no updates on it, but I'm not concerned about the fact that we haven't heard any updates on it. Like, I don't think there's any uh, worry or cause for concern about the fact that we've heard no updates. I think, hey, listen, there's a lot on their plate. The pandemic threw a massive wrench in everything. It may be a little bit before we hear anything. Now watch this. On Friday, we're going to get some big announcement, but I'm not worried about it. I'm not concerned about it. Let's give it a little bit more time. We'll give it a little bit more time. But I'm looking for, look, I love Samuel L. Jackson, so whatever. Put him in anything and I'll watch it. Even those stupid credit card commercial. What's in your wallet? I'll watch those all day because it's Samuel L. Jackson. All right. Thanks for saying that in, Marie. All right. Next up, uh, Mike Thompson writes, so I'm trying to think of some positives with this whole day and day and date deal with the theaters that the theaters made. Perhaps people will see a movie rentable for $30 and they'll decide they'd rather go to the cinema and watch it in better quality for half the price. Maybe. Yeah, look, I I'm with you, Mike. It, it's it is a stretch to try to see any positives in this. It is a stretch to see any positives in this. Um. I think the longer this whole thing is stretched on and now Disney Plus has accelerated their plans to transition to direct-to-consumer only, which means Hulu and ESPN Plus and primarily Disney Plus. And I, I don't I, – I just – I think the movie theaters needed to really hold their ground. I think movie theaters should have said to the studios, we're not going to help you transition away from us. You want to be in a movie theater? This is how you do it. Theatrical window, this is the way you do it. You want to do it your other way, you go ahead and do it. But either way, we're dead. So don't expect us to make it easier for you to transition away from us and to leave us on, you know, under the bus. I really think that the, like AMC made a horrible decision. The only movie theater that's done really well, in my opinion, and has been smart about all this has been Regal. But now that, you know, AMC and Cinemark are making these deals, the pressure is going to be even higher on Regal now just to do what they can. But I think ultimately it's going to lead to their demise. So I'm like you, Mike. I'm desperately because, you know, me, I am all about the theatrical experience. I love movie theaters, period. It is the only way real film fans should want to see movies. And don't get me wrong, I watch lots at home, too. But if given a choice, I want the theatrical experience. But even a guy like me who was like psychotically theatrical experience, theatrical experience, theatrical experience, theatrical experience, even I am like, oh, they're dead. I hope I'm wrong. There is still some hope. There is still some hope. 
But yeah, like you, Mike, even just desperately searching for ways to look at this positively, it's it's become challenging. All right, David Tapia writes. I just have time for a couple more, guys. Hey, John, I bought your documentary and really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate that. Question. Is there any trailer footage you wanted to use but couldn't include for whatever reason or one that you had cut out during editing? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, there's, listen, yeah. They're, the initial cut of my movie, my movie is one hour and 20 minutes long. So it's short for a feature. Uh, but it's one hour and 20 minutes long. The first cut of the movie, I think was about two hours. I think two hours was the first cut of the movie. Um, and it just, you know, like all first cuts, that's not really, your, that's not your final version. And then me and Jonathan started the process. Me and Jonathan Voico started the process of going through it and creating a better flow to the movie. And so there's a lot of stuff we took out. One thing in particular that we took out was we had this entire little section on not like my movie is broken into 12 chapters. There was not an entire chapter about the original alien trailer, but there was a good section in one of the chapters about specifically the original trailer for alien and talked a lot about it and blah, blah, blah. But you know, that was just one of many things that we've watched. It's like, is the point that's being made in this section about the alien trailer, has it already been made? Do we need to show this? Will we better the flow of the movie if we take it out? And there was a lot of that. And it's tough, man. When you make a movie and you put all this effort into creating this content and then you realize like it's, it's, I can only imagine how hard it is for real filmmakers, but like they knew now got to go through and take things that you filmed and recorded and you take it out of the movie. You make a decision. You got to take it out of the movie for the sake of the flow of the film. But yeah, so there, there are several. There are several. But the alien one is one that really stands out to me. The alien one is really stands out to me. Thanks for asking, David. All right, next up. Um, let's see. Chris writes, hey, John, I just started watching the Arrow show on CW. Uh, let, me, let me tell it amazing. Let me tell it amazing. I'm not sure what you mean by that. But anyway, Arrow, hey, listen, I loved the first couple of seasons of Arrow. Loved it. I kind of fell off the show about halfway through season three when they went with Captain Buckles. But the show kind of lost me. I still watched the whole thing. And there were some seasons that were better than others. And it certainly has. And I love Stephen Amell. I thought Stephen Amell in that show was great. Uh, I, I will be a Stephen Amell fan for as long as I'm, a, I'm a, a fan of TV and movies and entertainment, I'll be cheering for Stephen Amell. I think he's fantastic. Uh, but I kind of fell off the show a little bit. But the first couple of seasons, man, I was like the I called myself an Arrow evangelist. I was the biggest evangelist for that show, Arrow, the first couple of years it was on. I, I just love the first few years. I hope you enjoy it, Chris. All right. Um, I see John McKinney writes, I hope you don't mind, but I posted a video on YouTube of you explaining why being blinded by nostalgia is a straw man's argument because I, I felt you explained it best. It's also very condescending to assume why they may like an older movie, uh, an older movie better. Well, listen, that's all just a part of one of the worst habits we as film fans have. One of the absolute habits we as film fans have, and we've all done it. We've all done it. Um, is making excuses for why other people like movies we don't or don't like movies we do. That is one of the biggest 
irritating things that we as film fans do. And again, we're all guilty of it. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. It's one of the most irritating habits we have. You didn't like this movie? Well, you then just didn't get it. You know, you just made an excuse why the other person didn't like it. They watched it and they just didn't like it because they didn't like it. You like that garbage movie? Well, you're biased for... No, 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 no. That's just an excuse to make you feel better. That's just an excuse you make to make yourself feel better about the fact that somebody else doesn't see a movie the same way you do. It's an irritating habit. And we all do it. It's it, But it's a habit that... I think we really have to pay very, very close attention to and nostalgia. Oh, you only like it because of the nostalgia. No, 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 no. You're just making an excuse. I like it because I like it. Or you didn't like it because you didn't like it. And it is a part of that bigger problem that we make these excuses um, for other people instead of just instead of just celebrating, oh, you didn't like that? Oh, that sucks, man. Or saying, you like that movie? Listen, I hated it, but hey, I love that you loved it. That's great. If you got enjoyment out of that movie, that's great. But instead, here's the thing. We feel like if somebody, we get so invested in our opinions of something that we attach our own self-worth to it. So if somebody says, like, if you love Power Rangers and you love it, then you hear somebody say they hate Power Rangers. You take that as an attack on you. We shouldn't. You absolutely 1000% should not. But what happens is a lot of film fans take somebody else not liking something that they love as an attack on them personally. Because if you didn't like what I like, you're saying I have bad taste. And so you're attacking my, my taste in film. You're attacking me if you don't like what I like. It's ridiculous, but that's how we operate. Instead, we should just go, Oh, you didn't like it? Oh, well, it's all subjective, man. We all love and hate different things in art and it's all good and it's all good, you know, but we take it. So we create this, this interconnected web of excuses. And again, I'm not pointing my fingers at anybody in particular. We all do it, but I think we've got to be very aware to catch it. When we catch ourselves doing it, we got to, we got to be, you know, um, cognizant of it and try to catch ourselves and stop it. Or if you're seeing a buddy do it, catch him and say, whoa, 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 you're just making excuses now for why somebody likes something you didn't. And we got to call ourselves on it. Anyway, that's just kind of my thought on that. Anyway, thanks for that, John. All right, listen, uh, Jedi Roll, uh, Jedi Lori writes, and this will be our final, uh, this will be our final question of the day. Because just about that time here, I got to go down and start getting ready for uh, my mother-in-law to come over. We're going to have some Thanksgiving. All right, Jedi Lori writes. Just finished watching your documentary, John. Thank you so much for checking it out. Wonderful job. I'm pretty picky about documentaries, but this one was very enjoyable to watch. Well written and directed. I look forward to seeing even more creative content from you. Thank you so much for that, Jedi. And and listen, um, it's all going to be about, again, shameless plug, but it's all going to be about now. I, I have what I want my next project to be. I do. I have it. Uh, I've already talked to a partner. Who, who is a filmmaker who wants to do it too. But it's going to be all about, does this movie succeed? So um, I, let me give you my pitch, guys. And thank you so much for, uh, for those of you who've watched it and been writing in these kind of words. Please do go and check out my movie, Movie Trails. I think if you're a film fan, I think you're at the very minimum, at least I hope you're going to find it really interesting. 
I hope you're going to find it at minimum as a film fan, really interesting. I know I found it incredibly interesting as we were researching it and putting it together. Um, and if you liked it, if you watched it and liked it, can I ask you guys a favor? Again, I don't want you to lie. If you watched it and if you liked it, can you do me a favor? Spread the word. Uh, if you watch it on Amazon, rate it on Amazon. Leave a comment on it on Amazon if, if you watch it there. That would help me and the movie a great deal. Tell people about it. You know, share it amongst your circle or, you know, post about it on social media or whatever. That would just, that would help a great deal. Uh, word of mouth is everything with little tiny, you know, insignificant indie projects like mine. It, word of mouth is everything. And if you watched it and enjoyed it, can you become an evangelist for it? Uh, that would be great uh, if you did. Anyway, thank you again, Jedi Laurie, for that. That means a lot to me. It really does. And anyway, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Cabot Show here on Thanksgiving, a very laid back, relaxed episode, just us film fans talking. And again, I want to express my gratitude uh, to everybody for making our opening day uh, such an unexpected success. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. I, I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude. I don't even know how to put it into words. Uh, but thank you for all that. And thank you for all you guys who are going to go check it out and, and all that kind of stuff. Guys, I hope you have a fabulous Thanksgiving. Even if you're living in a country that doesn't do Thanksgiving, I hope you have a fabulous Thanksgiving day. May you have a terrific long weekend ahead of you filled with family relaxation and fun. We are going to do a show tomorrow because there's a number of topics to talk about. So we are going to do a show tomorrow. Make sure you come back and check us out for then. But anyway, guys, that'll do it for me. Please remember, do the four main things, especially on Thanksgiving. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My my name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.